This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everyone, and very much welcome to the 156th episode of Breaking Banks Europe. You're listening to news from the fintech front, and we'll be discussing today with some very esteemed guests what's happening on the other side of the Atlantic and in Europe on the fintech front. Uh, we've looked at all the news and got some really good experts out here to actually help you out uh, and discover what's not just the news, but what's going on behind it. First of all, we've got Florian Graillot, uh, our uh, insurtech expert from Astoria VC. Uh, very much looking forward to, to have you on the show, uh, Florian. Hi, Don. Thanks a lot for having me. Hi, Alex. Looking forward to, for our discussion. Great. And we've got another big name, and that's Alex Jimenez uh, talking, coming to us from the US, covering everything that's going on on the other side of the Atlantic and global. So uh, very nice to have you here, Alex. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, I'm glad to be here. And uh, I learned from uh, what you guys are doing in Europe. Great to have you here. And my name is Don Ginsel. I'll be your host. First time residential host here at Breaking Banks Europe. I look forward to shape the conversation and help you find your way into everything behind the scenes in fintech. So we've seen a lot of things coming by, even though it looked like it was going to be a, a quiet Christmas and New Year's Eve. It seemed like there was still a lot going on. And actually what was interesting to trigger, I think, is that a lot of the funding news was relatively early this year. So the reports about the developments in 2022 came very early. Uh, and so we have something to talk about because uh, actually 2022 wasn't that bad if I look at it. So what's your take on that, Alex? Yeah, I, I, I think as as we started seeing the economy soften, people were thinking that that uh, investments were going to dry up. Uh, but there's still a lot of money looking uh, for places to land. And there are a lot of really great models out there that are 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 providing solutions for consumers and businesses out there. So uh, certainly that that makes sense. Uh, 2022 was not as high as the previous year, uh, but it's still but it, it still was a terrific year in in various areas of of, yeah. of, of fintech. Lending is one that people have been. Uh, lending is probably one of the areas where people have been uh, being very cautious in what money they're going to put in, uh, but. But still out there, and cryptocurrency, of course. <laughs> also, been a bit tough year for crypto, indeed. Uh, and I think as well, if you, if you look at the numbers, it looks like actually not twenty twenty two is an outlier, but actually twenty twenty one was right. So it seems like there was a big hump that that everyone took with with inflated valuations and enormous numbers that were going into the market. Where actually, if you would erase that year, it would actually it looks actually pretty strong growth over year to year, uh, counting sure. backwards. Mm -hmm. um, so, Florian, how do you see that actually happening in the insure tech field uh, and, and across Europe? 
Yeah, that's almost the same. And, and I would say it uh, highly depends on how you measure the uh, activity, because that's true that what we see in, in fintech is rather that 2022 was aligned with uh, 2019, 2018, 2020, uh, and, and the uh, anomaly was rather 2021, which, which was uh, huge and kind of crazy. Uh, in insurtech, almost the same. If you have a look at um, investment in terms of euros invested, obviously it's down uh, and quite significantly because it's 40% drop from a year before. But if you have a look at the number of rounds that were announced, then it's up 10%. So yep. again, depending on how you look at the market, you can have a very different conclusion. Um, it seems that corporates are rather looking at euros invested considering that this is the end of insurance innovation or insurtech. Uh, investor and startup obviously uh, look the uh, glass uh, half empty, uh, half full uh, with uh, the number of rounds uh, more uh, important than a year before. And quite interestingly, uh, half of the rounds that were done in insurtech Europe last year were below 3 million euros. So very small. And I yeah. believe it's related to the um, stage of maturity of insurtech. We are still at the very beginning. Uh, of uh, insurtech and innovation more generally in insurance. Uh, Alex, you referred to uh, lending, which has been a hot trend for years. Uh, in fintech, there was uh, neobanks uh, that attracted a lot of money. And I think that we will come back to that topic later on. Mm -hmm. But basically, there were several um, very important trends in fintech that leads to a huge amount of money invested. In insurtech, we are still early. There are several trends but they are still small as well. So uh, the pattern is here, uh, but a lot is expected to come in the next years. I think there definitely you see a big difference between the different sectors within fintech or insurtech, how do you ever want, you want to shape that market? Uh, but indeed, you see that, you know, some parts were really inflated, uh, neo banking area uh, uh, for sure, right? I think that was also the game where it was uh, profitability was something that you shouldn't be talked about. Uh, it was growth, growth, growth. Um, and I think you see now, we saw, for example, in the news that uh, one of the neobanks actually uh, had to fall uh, in Germany uh, recently, which I think is uh, just a sign. We've seen some, um, also some sniffing around for acquisitions. But I'm curious about uh, how you see that in uh, in the USA. Um, uh, Alex, uh, do you, how do you see the developments there with regard to neobanks? Yeah, you know, neobanks are not uh, as successful, quote unquote, uh, as in Europe. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a slightly different market, but look at what, what, what's happened with Goldman Sachs, right? You know, they, they stood up their, their own, uh, uh, neobank, if you will, and they have lost a ton of money, right? And, and what I, I just read this morning that they in, invested $3 billion in the past two years on the retail banking side, which includes also, uh, the credit card with Apple Pay. Uh, but they continue to lose money on that side of the business. Uh, so it's, it's been, it, it's been difficult, uh, in the U.S. market for neobanks to unseed, particularly the big banks. Uh, yeah. and their proposed models and their, and their solutions are not that dif significantly different from what, uh, uh, big retail banks in the U.S. offer, whether it's so Bank of America or Chase. Whereas in Europe is a is a different market, and what what do you reckon actually makes makes that different? Because I think if you look at banking in the US, it's also not far advanced compared to Europe. That you would actually say that there's not an opportunity. So what's making it so hard? 
I, I, I think people are very entrenched in their in their behaviors and who they bank with. The number of people that actually switch banks is fairly small. Uh, and while you know surveys are done of consumers to find out if they're if if they're happy with their bank and how likely are they to leave, there's always this number of about a quarter of of consumers saying that they're leaving. But when you actually look at the people who are actually leaving those banks, it's, it just doesn't happen. If anything, it, people might just open an account with a Chime or with a Varo or some other neo bank, and it would just be an additional to their regular banking. Uh, and whether they actually switch behavior to use the neo bank as their, you know, their current account. Uh, that 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 seems to be the sticking point that the, that they just added for a very specific use. Uh, you know, I'm going to put my money here for special savings that I'm trying to do, but I'm really continue to use my Bank of America or my Chase, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that that behavior hasn't changed. Whereas, you know, w- w- when I talk to my colleagues in the UK, it's it's slightly different, right? Uh, you know, people are more likely to be using their neo banks there as 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 here. Uh, so, which also explains why some of the European banks that came to the the states just did not do well, and uh, some of them have retreated from the US. Indeed, yeah, I think yeah. indeed it was quite some some of the European neo banks that tried that adventure and uh, and had a tough time. Yep. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting indeed to to see those uh, those differences. But indeed, I think that the way people experience banking is still very different uh, across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and, and actually, the only uh, uh, impressive example that we have around neo banks is in uh, Latin America with new uh, bank mm-hmm. uh, yep. in uh, in Brazil. So, so that's uh, their their growth rate is uh, is quite uh, quite impressive. But I, I believe that it's also due to the different maturity of the market itself. Uh, and and though neo banks are offering a really different user experience. Not necessarily the services, but at least the experience uh, purely mobi- mobile. That, that's the example I usually take. But if if you have a few examples in mind, at least in France, we saw three waves of innovation in banking. The first one was, let's say, the retail banks, um, old-fashioned way uh, yeah. with brick and mortar um, branches. Then you had the first wave of web-based. So yeah. you could access your your account uh, on the internet and the third wave neo banks are actually mobile first and this yeah. is a different uh, user experience so every time there there is an improvement in terms of user experience the question is is that enough to drive a customer there uh, and there is another question that you raised uh, Don, uh, around profitability because the truth is that you can have several bank accounts uh, as long as they, got n- they cost nothing it's a challenge for um, these neo banks uh, to monetize their customer uh, base i believe that insurance could be an option there are plenty of other options obviously yeah. Uh, but insurance could be uh, could be one topic for for them, and that's where it's slightly different um, in terms of B two C insurtech, uh, because you cannot have uh, several uh, home insurance, for instance. You have one, uh, yeah. and you pay upfront. Um, whereas for the, the the banking app, you can have a free access. The usually the bank account is free, and then if you'd like to get premium services or uh, l- l- let's say, uh, uh, have international uh, uh, interest or features, uh, lend money or something like that, then you pay something. 
yeah. so that's also a different uh, view that we see on the on the on the market. Though uh, the troubles around uh, neo banks that you highlight are also true with B two C insurtech, uh, which had a tough year uh, last year in terms of uh, of fundraising. Let's see how this year uh, evolves. But uh, there's also a challenge for them in terms of growth and profitability. I think it's, you see it across the board that all uh, companies that are actually aiming for a very large fragmented market, so retail or focus on SMEs, they all have to invest a lot in customer acquisition and uh, and investors are not that patient anymore, right? I think uh, that's, that's, I think, one of the challenges why valuations go down and, and profitability becomes the new mantra for uh, for also fintech companies. Yeah, and I also think it's related to the value proposition. Because if yeah. the value proposition is only to offer a pure digital uh, experience, which is fine, because again, there is a gap, I believe, between incumbents and startups in terms of user experience. Um, it's not enough to justify such a gap in terms of valuation and price. Uh, so I, I think that the challenge right now is to find the right balance between valuation and value and align these uh, these things. And that's why last year, or at least the second half of last year, there were so few uh, deals announced because basically every investor wanted a huge discount for any kind of startup. Uh, whichever startup in front of them, they asked for 50% discount. That's what we hear on the market here in Europe. Uh, on the other hand, uh, entrepreneurs were not ready to take such a cut. Uh, so let's see again how the beginning of this year um, changes things because a few startups will have no other choice than to raise money. Otherwise, it's bankruptcy. Or I think we've seen already some examples, right? I think, Alex, especially in the US market, uh, we've seen already that MA is uh, slowly beginning to cook. Uh, towards the towards the fintech field, did did you see something interesting there already? How, how do you feel the atmosphere is uh, at that level? Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely with the, the uh, some of the valuations coming down, <laughs> there's an opportunity for for acquisition. And you know, we've seen banks acquiring uh, fintechs, and we're seeing bigger fintechs acquiring uh, smaller fintechs. PayPal, for example, acquiring uh, others. Uh, so I expect that the next year we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, organizations like the big banks have not been very good at the innovation, uh, and acquiring a fintech has always been, uh, a way for them to start, uh, uh, moving towards being more innovative. Uh, of course, they need to do better due diligence uh, that we've seen in the market recently, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and 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 understand what uh, what it is that they're acquiring and making sure that they 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 uh, don't just take the employees and put them into the legacy IT department and say, okay, now we're gonna, now we're more innovative, uh, which I've also seen uh, seems to happen sometimes. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for M&A, and I expect not just M&A within fintech, but also within the banking and insurance world uh, in the U.S. Yeah. So one, one, one thing I'd like to check in with you as well, I, I hear a lot of people that say, you know, there can't be that many fintechs, there needs to be consolidation. Right, so I think that especially if you look, talk to to banks and insurance firms, they they always say that. But when I then talk to them about and say, you know, there are six thousand banks in Europe, right? So 
I don't see them consolidating. So, you know, I think we can deal with uh, 10,000 fintech companies. That shouldn't be much of a problem. Uh, but it's, it keeps on resonating. I hear people coming back to it uh, time and time again. I'm just curious about your take on that as well. Do you see that there's is the, a lot of parts in fintech are not just winner takes all, uh, but actually are, are leave room for a very fragmented market as well, I believe. Yeah, I, I agree that, that there's definitely uh, a lot of areas that are not being addressed by the by the incumbents uh, and opportunities for for fintechs to continue and to continue to innovate and expand. I mean, you, you see, you know, SoFi, for example, in the U.S. Uh, has done a, a, a decent job of going from a mono line, if you will, to a full fledged bank. Uh, I expect that that will continue to happen. Uh, with organizations moving into other other capabilities and building different models, uh, but it's it's going to go it's going to go always, right? And some organizations are not going to be able to grow beyond you know their buy now pay later product, for example, yeah. into into deposits or into something else, and they'll have to be acquired. It's going to be it, it's it will continue to be just this big <laughs> big uh, uh, development uh, of the market and change. Uh, but you know, I, I, I do wanted to just mention uh, uh, based on what Florian uh, uh, said earlier. There are some markets that are very hot: Latin America, Africa. Uh, you see lots of activity there. Uh, Nubank uh, has been able to grow in the market because the 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 incumbents in Latin America are. You know, if, if we think that the incumbent banks in the U.S. and Europe are slow, uh, you haven't seen anything when you look until you look at the the the, yeah. the big banks in 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 Latin America and in Africa and what they're not doing, and many of them struggle with just a basic mobile app. So a new bank comes in, you know, looking like. Uh, you know, a neo bank, and of course, they're going to get a lot of the a lot of the market. Yeah, yeah, definitely, really nice example. I think indeed of uh, how you can get traction and make a really big leap forward. Yeah. So, how do you see that in insurtech, uh, Florian? Is that uh, is it also consolidation time already? And do you see the the insurtechs already being picked up uh, by insurance firms? Yeah, that's a good question. So first, we we saw such an example last year with uh, Alliance X that acquired Simple Insurance, which was a kind of historical embedded insurtech uh, company in uh, in Europe. So that's the first move. Uh, obviously, unlike in fintech with a valuation done and or uh, a huge need for capital uh, raised uh, from a few startups, um, there will be opportunity to acquire uh, startup. I'm still wondering whether corporates uh, incumbents, meaning uh, insurance or reinsurance player, uh, will move fast enough to close these uh, deals. And I'm wondering whether we will rather see um, MNA between startups them themselves again to to grow uh, significantly. Maybe a few MNA cross border uh, because when you manage to have a significant size, then you manage to have more profitability for in the insurance space because you manage to get uh, a bit more, especially when you are a broker. Uh, you manage to, to to get more fees on on the premium that you are selling. Yeah. So there is an incentive to to become a bit bigger. And if you cannot acquire customer um, in the old-fashioned way, spending money 
uh, on, on advertisement, maybe you can merge with a, a similar company uh, again to, to reach a significant milestone. So that's uh, one thing. Um, uh, the the other opportunity is a pure tech play, uh, for instance, because tech tech players, uh, tech vendors, software provider uh, might be interested in leveraging such technologies or such, let's say, uh, customer portfolio as well. That's a, a good uh, way to enter a new market. Um, and on the other hand, I believe that, and that's interesting what you mentioned before, uh, referring to incumbents to justify that actually there might be not dozens of thousands of players in each section, but there might be several players. Uh, that's exactly what we see uh, among incumbents, though the M&A wave is already happening as well yeah. uh, among uh, corporates. And the truth is that uh, startups probably have a break-even, which is way lower than incumbents due to their uh, state-of-the-art IT system, uh, the technology that they are leveraging at the core of their business. So there, it highly depends on your ambition as a founder uh, because you can be profitable uh, with uh, 10 employees, uh, but it's not the same as uh, being a global player or even a national player. So it's also it's also related to where you want to land. Uh, and, and again, profitability is one thing, but I believe that for most of the startups, especially at early stage, it's rather profitable growth. So keep yeah. growing. If you are a startup, if you're a tech player, uh, your valuation is high because you are growing. So as soon as you stop growing, that's a challenge. But again, there might be a, a size where it's more relevant to be uh, profitable. And again, you cannot be unprofitable uh, for, for, for ages. So at one point you need... Not anymore. That. No. We're, we're already seeing uh, uh, some activity in M&A and, and intro tech, right? We, we just saw a vouch acquired level. Uh, so that's an example. And that, that that's for, you know, the first week of the of the year and, and, and that's already happening. So uh, more and more of that will, will be coming. Yeah, I think that's a, it's really interesting to see to see that happening. And I think there as well. I mean, if you if you, for example, are in B two B fintech, you still see that actually your skill matters a lot in how easy it is to land deals, right? So I think that's also forcing companies actually to to collaborate much stronger or to actually uh, um, uh, to actually work together uh, uh, or do an acquisition. And of course, potentially now with the interest rate rising, we uh, uh, less availability in venture funding might actually force uh, companies to collaborate uh, much stronger to together uh, have the capital and the resource to actually uh, skill further. All right, really interesting. Uh, let's uh, let's take this uh, on the next conversation. Uh, everyone listening in will hear you and see you again after the break. Do you want to be part of Breaking Banks Europe? Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at BreakingBanksEU or go to www.provoke.fm. And we're back again. Thank you still for listening in to the Breaking Banks Europe podcast. And we're continuing here with Florian Graillot and Alex Jimenez uh, discovering what's going on at the fintech front. Um, 
we've been talking about about uh, neobank to funding landscape uh, m a um, uh, one of the things we didn't touch upon just yet is uh, what's happening in crypto I mean we've seen a pretty bad year for crypto where it's been pretty hard to identify whether the party you're dealing with is actually trustworthy and uh, you know whether the numbers actually make sense that they report I think it makes it pretty harsh environment at the moment I'm curious about your take on that uh, just to understand a little bit what you think does this mean not just for crypto, but actually for fintech? Uh, Alex, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think that people sort of resonate what's happening in crypto and, and also look at fintech then with a different angle? Or do you think that's completely separate? Well, I, in some ways, the, the more you look like a legacy product, the less you're going to be tainted by what's going on in crypto, yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, the so you know, there's that. If you're a neobank and you're not dealing with crypto, you probably are okay from a from a PR standpoint. Uh, but certainly, organizations that were doing DeFi uh, are now being colored by okay, what well, are you the next FTX and so on. It just recently, I talked to a to a, a company that is in digital assets that is as far away as you can be from FTX, and they are extremely unhappy with how. Their clients and their vendors, everyone is dealing with them because now they're being treated as well. Maybe you are not, uh, you're, you're not an out, uh, upstanding person because you're in this space. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so it, it's, it's a difficult place to be. Uh, but you know, one of the things that many of us have been saying all along is that there's a lot of money that was being thrown to crypto and a lot of people jumping into crypto when they had no business being in crypto, not understanding what they were putting their money into, uh, you know, get, getting opinions from their, from their Uber driver and where they should be, uh, buying or where they should be investing their money and, you know, buying, uh, all kinds of memes, meme, uh, uh tokens etc uh so some of that was going to happen at some point uh certainly i don't think we were expecting something like what has happened with ftx but uh uh it it's it, it really calls for a lot of rethinking of how we approach crypto and and the fact that regulators throughout uh many different areas have just uh, drop the ball. They really haven't focused on how to protect consumers against the likes of, of what we've seen. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that if you talk to crypto faithful, they'll say, well, you don't need regulation. You don't need regulation because everything is public, because uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, this is decentralized. There's not a central group that protect, that's, that's driving this. But guess what? There are central groups, right? They're, they're the, yeah. the the wallets and the, the the trading companies. Those are those are the ones that need some regulation. So maybe you don't regulate Bitcoin or or or, or another token, but what you regulate are these organizations that are centralizing some of the functionality uh, and and make sure that they're not uh, out there, uh, you know, stealing people people's money, which is in essence what FTX did. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, there's, it, it is, it is time for, or for regulators to actually step up and do something about it. Uh, and here in the U.S., it's like, it's a hot potato, right? It, it's crypto, crypto uh, security. Yes, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, no. And it, no, it's a payment, uh, vehicle. Therefore, we're not going to do anything about it. It's, it's just been, it, it's been, uh, 
uh, are quite a mess and uh, in, in how we approach it from a regulatory standpoint. Uh, so it, it, we need to lay down the law and really start looking at it. Certainly the EU is doing some things that are uh, better than what we're doing in the U.S. And the U.S. needs to start looking uh, 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 over to the EU and, and, and learn from what, you, what is happening there. Uh, but, you know, if you look at uh, APAC, Singapore, some other uh, countries that are taking a different stance that, you know, there are some learnings from that as well. No, I think so too. And the the, the MICA regulation uh, in Europe is definitely an interesting approach uh, to it, and yep. not not perfect, but definitely a good step towards uh, trying yep. to regulate it. Absolutely. And it's been, of course, a very difficult uh, field for regulators as they uh, always didn't want to endorse crypto in any way, uh, which would come also with regulating it potentially. Right. Uh, and I think yep. that's one of the challenging, well, sort of a schizophrenic approach that they had to take there. Uh, <laughs> There's also there's the skill set, right? You know, most regulators are attorneys. Uh, they're not te te technologists, and just understanding what's what's a smart contract, uh, what's what's the difference between Ethereum and 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 uh, Bitcoin, for example, yeah. is it, not an easy thing to understand. And if you're if you're not tech uh, savvy or tech leaning, that some of that is going to go right over your head. No, I fully agree. And then again, as well, with the fact that a lot of crypto is set up to be anarchistic by default, right? Exactly. That's, that also makes it kind of hard to to mold it in, fold it into the the, the regulated system. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you see the link there, Florian? I think your your the link with InsureTech is not that great, uh, right? So, I think it's 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 fairly different worlds. But or do you also see that there's a similar stance towards it uh, uh, in the market? Yeah, that, that's a, an interesting moment, I, I think, because uh, if, if you have a look at the last years, uh, there were a lot of use cases. You mentioned DeFi, for instance, or the blockchain technology itself, uh, a lot of use cases around banking, financial services more generally, and actually a few of them only were around insurance. So we were kind of still looking for uh, real use cases or real startup leveraging this kind of opportunity, technology, new way of managing value uh, online uh, with uh, application in insurance. Um, th there was an initiative, actually, a B3i, uh, which closed slash goes bankrupt or went bankrupt last year. Uh, but the truth is, to, it was a kind of group of incumbents working together around the blockchain technology. So I, uh, I'm still unclear whether uh, it was a proof that the technology could not apply to the industry, which I highly doubt, or if it was the setup that didn't really make sense. Uh, again, having only incumbents around a new technology uh, seems to be surprising at least. Um, so let's see if there are other opportunities. And on the other hand, I think that the uh, the drop on the market is also related to how much was invested in that space. Because what we mentioned yeah. in section one around investment in fintech was were even more crazy around crypto. There was so much money invested there that by design, that there were, uh, let's say, weaker projects that get access to finance to financial anyway um and and i think that the huge opportunity that is still ahead for insurtech startups uh, is uh, how you manage to um, insure digital risks 
because that's money uh, that's uh, and and again it's not only uh, insuring them from theft it's also how you manage uh, to ensure that uh, digital value uh, and i think that in that topic and in that regard there might be a lot of opportunities in the future same with technology because i think that there are, there are again two parts in the crypto market you have the b2c place uh, with the the the, um, the wallets that we mentioned there are initiatives to to try to have cold wallets like ledger uh, the, the global players based in France, uh, yeah. but you have plenty of other opportunities. And then you have a lot of B2B or, or pure technology that are trying to make it uh, to make it happen. So I think that there is still a lot to do. And for sure, uh, there is an insurance opportunity because that's a new risk uh, where we lack data, we lack uh, understanding, uh, hence we lack how to, to, to price this risk. Uh, isn't it also a challenge at the moment? Because I think I also read somewhere that, that cybersecurity risks are becoming harder and harder to insure, right? So I think on one hand, there is indeed an opportunity coming. And at the same time, you know, are we good enough at assessing uh, digital risks uh, at the moment? Yeah, definitely. And, and actually, we put them in the same basket, which is new risks where basically the, the, the risk is not covered by every player on the market. Um, it's surging and cybersecurity even more than uh, um, digital assets so far. And, and the third point, we lack data because there is no historical data uh, and, and that's the, the, the challenge. And back to cyber insurance, for instance, there was a, a, a big reinsurance company that highlighted that potentially in the near future, this will become the major business line for them. But so far, they remain very cautious until they have enough data. Because the truth is that you can um, uh, cover whatever you want, but if you don't know when things will happen, and most of all in 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 cyber, um, how how much it will damage your uh, team, uh, your organization, your data, your assets, uh, that's almost impossible to to uh, to ensure. So I think that the yeah. challenge in cyber, in digital assets, and in many other areas is indeed getting data to understand and assess the risk. Imagine someone shopping for uh, insurance for their NFTs, right? <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting. And I think uh, what I'm also maybe a bit on an extension of that uh, flowing out to you as well is like, do you see any, do you see democratization of uh, assuming uh, insured risk uh, coming up as well? Right, so I think you see that as well as in a sort of a risk sharing pools, which is not sort of in a confined environment. But for the rest, the risks uh, risk acceptance market is not a public market, right? That's a closed market where not everyone has access to, which actually might limit innovation across the board because it's not that I can say, you know, I think I can understand, you know, the cyber risk. So let me uh, let me take a chunk of the risk. Um, yeah, and, or, or another, uh, let's say, way to address it is that we start seeing a pool of corporates that are teaming up together, putting money in the same basket, and then considering that they might uh, insure, but by design, it's very small basket, so it covers only a very tiny part, but that's initiative. And I think that what is exciting here is that maybe we need to rethink the way to insure things. Beyond assessing the risk, pricing the risk, maybe there is another way to address this kind of risk because they might be systematic, they might they might be uh, huge, and they might be a non. So so that's yeah. a real challenge for the uh, uh, for the industry, and that's where technology should help. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that's also one of the interesting topics I think we could also touch upon is, is where you get actually to need technology to be able to work with technology, right? I think, I mean, uh, the most clear example there, I think, is, for example, how we work with virus scanners uh, and, uh, you know, spam protection in your email. And you actually get AI to fight AI, right? Uh, potentially. You see also see that in, in capital markets, for example, right, where most of the volatility is created from computer to computer, not human to computer or human to human. Uh, which I think is a really interesting uh, phase as well that we're going into, which I think is very scary for a lot of people. So I see that when this discussion pops up about the use of data, algorithms becoming in the more and more sophisticated and potentially more independent in decision-making, you also see the fear on the rise. And I think especially in Europe, I, I, I know about that. I'm not sure about the, how the US is looking at that as they have a bit more open stance towards the use of personal data generally than the Europeans do. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of worry about the use of AI, and um, I'm just curious what what's your what's your feeling about that, Alex? Is uh, is that is are are U.S. citizens open to actually use artificial intelligence in their um, in their financial products or around their services? I I, I think certainly more more so than Europeans. Uh, uh, I you know obviously we have different different regions, and you see the California. For example, trying to follow the lead of the EU on on, on privacy uh, and other states going down that path, but I think in general, uh, uh, Americans are less fearful of of giving data to in in, in return for convenience. Uh, so that that helps the the, the story of AI. Uh, but you know, I mean, some of the things that we're seeing today with with uh, uh, chat GPT and other other uh, uh, solutions that are being presented. There's a lot of excitement around AI, but there's a lot of issues as well uh, mm. that we, we got to be thinking of. Otherwise, you know, five years from now, we're going to be thinking of how we claw back some of the things issues that have come back. You know, we're already seeing uh, bias in algorithms for underwriting of insurance and for underwriting of loans. Uh, based, you know, based on people's name, religion, color, etc. Uh, and if we go down this path without looking at what's behind, what's in the black box, then we're going to continue to to have, you know, societal issues. Uh, yep. So it's it, it, there's lots of ways we can go about talking about AI, but uh, uh, it's exciting. But at the same time, we got to be careful. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it, it is uh, it, it's, it, it is very exciting what you can do with it, but uh, and I think but it, it needs to be regulated as well, and we need to uh, identify that it can be very powerful in both the good and the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. I do see that, Florian. Um, what's your what's your take on this? Uh, I think AI for also in insurance is actually uh, very highly appreciated. Yeah, we we see more and more uh, corporates embracing AI projects or technologies. The the truth is that I think that there are two parts on the market. On the customer side, uh, as uh, Alex mentioned, I think it's all about value proposition. Uh, we uh, have the uh, obviously the GDPR uh, here, but if you believe that sharing your data will benefit your service, uh, then it's fine. And by the way, we are all doing that every day using Gmail, for instance. So that's what we are doing. And and, and th that's the famous, uh, if it's free, you are the product, but it's also around the data. But again, you are fine sharing a few data with uh, tech giants. 
because they are delivering uh, value to you. Uh, and I believe this is a challenge for, for financial services, including insurance companies, because if an insurance company tomorrow morning asks you to share your health data, probably your first question will be, what for? And probably you have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, um, or you wear an, an Apple Watch or a Fitbit, uh, which is my case, for instance, and I'm already sharing all my health data with them. Uh, so because it benefits me, uh, because I can track, I don't know, my sleep, uh, when I'm running, um, if I'm, I'm in good shape or not. Um, so the, again, the, 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 the feedback and the value perceived by, by myself is uh, big enough to be comfortable sharing this uh, data with this tech chain. So I think it's quite interesting. And uh, on the other hand, uh, around AI, uh, I really believe it's around uh, explainable AI. If you can explain yeah. how things are working on how the or how the decision was taken, it's it's very powerful. But I have a very clear example because we have invested in that startup Zeros doing AI for insurance distribution. But yep. They are not replacing the agents and the broker. They are kind of uh, supercharging these, these guys and girls, uh, offering them um, prediction on which product they should push in front of X or Y customer, uh, arguments to support yep. these sales. And, and again, it's very powerful and that uh, the, the results are quite uh, impressive because it obviously increases the uh, conversion rate because the argument and the product are more relevant because the algorithm is able to spot the real needs based on who they have in front of them. So again, um, and, and that's true for insurtech and probably for fintech as well, it's not insurtech against insurance. It's rather the two uh, together that will be um, more powerful and that will open a new generation, I believe, in insurance. Uh, or at least that's our investment thesis uh, at Astoria VC. But so far, it seems that more and more technology is uh, supercharging uh, existing players. That's what is uh, exciting. And AI is one uh, clear benefit for, for the industry. Yep. And I totally agree on that. It's actually about uh, uh, XAI or explainable AI uh, to a large extent. And I think now we see some very interesting projects of uh, communities or institutions actually opening up their ledgers of uh, algorithms uh, to actually show exactly what they use, how they use it, what the boundary conditions are. I think uh, really, really interesting to see that development. Because very often, I'd like to touch upon your, what you mentioned with, uh, for example, your Apple Watch or uh, other things. Uh, and I think the relationship with big tech in particular is actually we don't always have a choice when we say yes to share our data, right? We're, we're at least at least socially and potentially more being held hostage in a situation where we there's only one way out and that's press the OK button to move forward, right? How do you see that? Uh, do you feel the same there, Alex? Uh, does it also feel like that in the US or is it less of less of an issue perhaps? No, I, I think it's 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 the same, and it certainly it all depends on who you are and 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 what you're trying to do. And uh, it it we are held hostage by the by the big big tech companies. Uh, you know, I, I, I long ago when I worked at a bank and we were looking to offer Apple Pay, uh, Apple sent their contract over, and uh, I had to have our legal department review it. And they said, "Oh, we need to make changes," which of course made me laugh. And I, I laughed for maybe about two minutes and they said, well, I don't understand why you're laughing. And, and, and I said, good luck trying to get Apple to change their, their, their contract 
it's uh, take it or leave it. And and that's, you know, that is what we have, you know, or, or for things like Apple Pay, for things like Gmail, right? You, if you want it, you take you take it. Uh, otherwise, you know, you, you can walk away from it. Uh, and in some cases, it may not be something that you want to do from a business as a business decision, right? Exactly. No, that that makes it really hard, right? So they've become really dominant players. It's interesting, by the way, as well to see what that will bring in a new year. As also, for example, the European Committee is shaping up to actually uh, push push back on these uh, these uh, market powers. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no, it's another run race for sure. Yeah. <laughs> An interesting year ahead. I mean, we've got a lot of things to look out for, right? I mean, uh, we can hopefully vouch for a, a war ending in Ukraine, uh, interest rates stabilizing, uh, venture funding climbing up again, and uh, new startups uh, coming up from all the layoffs that we've saw now, seen over the past year with you know talent being available in the market with sufficient problems to solve. Uh, a potential next uh, Cabrian boom of uh, fintech uh, and tech companies. Uh, I'm up for it. How about you? Sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot, and I think that that's what you uh, you mentioned. There are enough, uh, let's say, uh, pain points or uh, problems on the market to be uh, to be solved. So I think, and uh, once again, uh, there is still a lot to innovate in financial services and especially in uh, in insurtech but uh, but i think it's also the case in banking in wealth management in crypto that we mentioned before so so that's uh, that's quite uh, quite exciting um though 2023 will be uh, i believe very insightful uh, depending on how the market uh, comes back uh, again or not, uh, if there is indeed a wave of MA, if VC money is pouring again startup, but for sure there are a lot still to address. Yeah, indeed. I think it's a good way uh, to actually wrap it up uh, as we look ahead to a successful 2023. Uh, I want to wish all our listeners, of course, the very best for that. And uh, please stay tuned to Breaking Banks Europe to listen in on all the latest news analysis and the foresights of what might be coming. Uh, and for now, of course, I'd really like to thank uh, Alex Jimenez uh, in the US. Thank you for joining and uh, sharing your insights. Great to have you Thanks. on the show. And uh, also Florian uh, from uh, Florian Graillot from uh, from Europe. Uh, thank you for sharing your insights, especially from the insurtech field. We're very much looking forward to have you on the show uh, soon again. Uh, my name is Don Ginsel, and I'm uh, I was thankfully your host for today. Looking forward to listen to you again or speak to you again next time. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.